welcome back to the Weighing In podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. On the line for episode number 97 is David Miracatani. David, how are things? Everything is good, Alex. Glad to be uh, glad to get the weekend over. We had an awesome fundraising event here and uh, kind of getting back to normal life, but everything's good, man. How are you? How are you doing? Oh, doing well. It almost feels like fall down here in Oklahoma. It's going to warm up a little bit this week, but over the weekend, we actually had cooler temperatures, which is nice for a change. Uh, it's almost wrestling season. It's coming. I can feel it. That's right. We've got Gina World coming up, and yeah, it'll be creeping up on us soon enough for sure. Yeah, definitely Junior Worlds to watch this weekend. We'll get to that a little bit. Uh, we've got people going everywhere. We've got an under-15 team going down to Mexico for Pan Ams. We've got a contingent at the Medved this weekend. It's, it, you know, you can get your fill of wrestling even long before any competition in high school and college has started. So that's always a good thing. For sure, for sure. Uh, we'll start out uh, on the mats this weekend. Had one of the biggest wins um, – in recent history for American Greco, Tracy Giangelo Hancock, I mean, my goodness, went out to Poland, semifinal round runs into Alex Sanyan, who is the, he's won the last three world championships at that weight. He was the Olympic gold medalist. I mean, the guy rarely loses. I looked it up. He has two losses since I think 2013. It's just an insane guy to be, you know, matched up against. Hancock goes out. Locks around the body, throws him for four, and pins him. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Did my Greco heart good. <laughs> it was a remarkable. I mean, he had beaten a former junior world champion in round one, rolled through a Russian after that, won in the semis, then came back the next day and won the gold medal. Just a fantastic result for USA Greco and obviously for Hancock himself. It's huge, man. It's gigantic, and uh, it's it's you know there's tipping points in people's careers where this you know winning and confidence are the chicken and the egg, where it's hard to do one without the other. And you know, not that Hancock lacked confidence. You know, he certainly is a confident young guy. But the, you know, when you have the more legit wins is when you start going from my hope I can to I think I can to I know I can to I'm going to. And I think he jumped at least one or two levels with that with that win and just not just that win, but not like he, you know, got lucky and caught somebody and then, you know, wrestled like garbage after, afterwards, but wrestled great before and then closed out the tournament. So it, it is significant for him and for Greco for the United States. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people we're hoping that Hancock was going to do this sort of thing last summer. I mean, he was on the junior world team and the senior world team. Uh, didn't come away with a medal at either competition. But, you know, sometimes it takes something like that where you're expected to do something and you don't to really kick it into gear. Obviously, this is a massive win. Uh, one of the things I really like about it, I mean, you mentioned, you know, it wasn't a lucky fluke thing. He went out and took it to him. His move got the fall. You know, that's something that a lot of our younger Greco guys are really doing well. I mean, obviously, we've seen what Kamal Bay can do. You know, there's a lot of guys, they're going out there to score points. You know, Greco can be a passivity contest sometimes at the highest level. And Alex Sanyan, while he does have a lot of offense, is willing to play that game if you let him. And so to see him go out there, 
not be afraid to throw at, you know, to throw right off the bat, you know, before he even really knew how the match was going. That's, that's fantastic. And the more of that style, that's good for everybody. That's good for our Greco. That's good for world Greco. That style winning is good for this, for that part of the sport. So I really enjoyed seeing that. Yeah. It's a point well made that it's a sport to work. There are a lot of statistics done about how, uh, you know, how many matches were won just on uh, caution points and things like that. So it's really good that that it's not going that way. So super positive. Had a big contingent in Poland um, all weekend. Had some other successes. Sam Brooks came away with a silver medal in freestyle. I mean, we had a long list of bronze medalists, Joe Pallone, Corey Clark, Brandon Sorensen, Whitney Condor, Tamira Mensah-Stock, Forrest Molinari, Jakari Winchester, was fifth, Sarah Hildebrand was fifth, Joe Rao was fifth, Frank Pirelli was fifth, and Jordan Oliver was fifth after he forfeited his bronze medal match. Um, you know, it's it's good that we sent, you know, sent a big contingent to these big international events. It's good to see the hardware. I thought our women's freestyle team, I, I'm sure they were a little disappointed in some of their results. Um, you know, we saw Allie Reagan and um, Mallory Velty both come up short of the podium. So, Obviously, they've got some work to do for the World Championships. But all in all, it's good to see Team USA going out and bringing back hardware. It is. It's, uh, it also, you know, I talked to, talked to uh, Coach Coach Zeke Jones and Coach Carrero about how hard that Poland tournament was just to kind of get a feel for it when we spoke about it last week. And it, it goes to show you, you know, that our, you know, a lot of our best, you know, guys and gals, you know, that, thirds and fifths were the predominant results or, or worse and not just, you know, sort of the opposite of the junior Pan Ams, right? Or just, you know, we're just truck driving people as a country. And and you said it, you know, really well last week. They, it's not their fault. You just don't know how good you are. So, you know, this is a good measuring stick. You know, you're halfway between quads. Uh, people are starting to worry or, or plan on getting down to, you know, the Olympic weights. And I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of valuable experience that we've gained in a tournament like that. Absolutely. Um, obviously, it was a women's freestyle UWW ranking series event, so they obviously had good fields there. And, and we've mentioned who Hancock ran into. There was just a lot of people around. I mean, Jordan Oliver wrestled the Russian, who's excellent. Um, Dean Heil, I think, got a look at him too. So it's just a lot of good experience this weekend and you know i'm sure our women's team will make adjustments and be better at worlds it's good to get a loss or two now and then sometimes that can wake you up so it's it's not necessarily a bad thing moving over to the junior world championships coming this weekend some news out and we'll we'll talk about this guy a little bit more in a second but uh, Daniel Kirkfleet is out of the lineup at 97 kilograms after sustaining an injury and Zach Elam is in someone you're quite familiar with david yeah, that's a stud, Missouri guy, wrestled in the Pittsburgh Classic, wrestled in the battle for Missouri. Uh, his dad, Brian's longtime friend of, of me and my family, the zoo recruit. Uh, you know, I think there's clearly levels between Kirkley and Elam based on the 10 0 matches, but huge opportunity for Elam and the second, uh, second Missouri high school kid. I guess he's a college kid now, but to uh, be on that team with Josh Saunders, you know, both as alternates and then 
uh, Savion Severado just came back from Junior Pan Am, so Mizzou's got a couple kids that are out there getting it done, uh, getting to compete in these things, and that, that's good for their RTC, good for their college program. Elon was just about as nice of a kid as you're going to meet for a kid that is good enough to not be nice. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, you know what I mean by that. Like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of kids that are arrogant. Just yes or no, sir. You know, thank me for putting him in the meet, you know, instead of the other way around. Just, you know, so, uh, you know, obviously we root for all the Americans, definitely we root for Missouri guys, but just, you know, I do, but on a personal level. Just really hoping he has a positive experience and uh, and does well out there. I agree with that. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, Kirk Fleet as a defending world champion would have been nice to have on our team, but we've seen guys step in before and do well, and this is a good opportunity for the young man. Um, Kirk Fleet, uh, that was the first announcement that came out about him this week. Uh, he followed up heels with a commitment to Ohio State, a uh, verbal commitment. Uh, that is his third, I believe. He started out at Minnesota. Uh, Easy. Hey, these young guys are a lot of change their mind, man. It's all right. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's been an odyssey with him. I mean, he was going to go to Minnesota, and then him and Gable Stevenson realized they couldn't wrestle the same weight. So he committed to Oklahoma State for a time, decided that wasn't the right fit, and now it's Ohio State, which, I mean, you can't blame him. They have Kyle Snyder training there and have a good situation. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the lineup works out with him and Chase Singletary and uh, Gavin Hoffman's going there too. But, you know, with an Olympic red shirt possible for Kirk Fleet, you know, that's not as much overlap as you might think. What do you think about the fit for Kirk Fleet at Ohio State? Well, I had one college coach call me today and said, how soon do you think Chase Singletary's name is going to pop up on that list? So that was a... Uh... That was an interesting original sidebar. Uh, I mean, it felt like all along that when he, you know, reopened recruiting for lack of a better phrase, that it was everything that I was hearing. I think you were hearing was that it was either going to be Ohio state, you know, because of the Snyder connection or Penn state because of being able to train with kale and Varner and those guys. And it's a huge addition by subtraction with Ohio State versus Oklahoma State. The one weight class Oklahoma State has struggled at for years in getting stud recruits is heavyweight. Now, they've turned guys like Austin Schaefer and Derek White into really good heavyweights, but they haven't gotten a, a hammer up there in a long time. And, you know, for a minute they had one. And this obviously is a, a huge balance shift. We've talked about this this recruiting class of heavyweights with Stevenson, and you'll help me so I don't forget all of them, but you know, Stevenson and Colton Schultz and Daniel Kirkley and Nevels and Zach Elam and, you know, help me with who I'm missing here, but there's like seven or eight of them. Yeah. Oh, Mason Ferris. And the, yeah. the younger Nevels is around. Looks like he's going to take a gray shirt, so he's going to be in that class. And, yeah. It's... And, you know, Mason Paris. I mean, it's it feels like you could name eight guys who could all just be all Americans for the next four or five years there. So if you don't have one of those guys, it's going to be tough. I mean, obviously things change, guys improve, guys regress, guys just, you know, fall, fall out of love with the sport. But one of the things that's really attractive about him is he scores a lot of bonus points. So, you know, he may or may not win multiple national titles. I wouldn't bet against him, but, He's a guy that's going to score you a lot more points than just the placing points along the way. 
Absolutely. And that's, you know, I mean, I think I talked about it when we talked about Penn State last week. We're in an era where you're going to have to score bonus points to win national titles. So you've got to get those guys if you're in the hunt. And obviously you'll get one in him in Columbus, and that's a good thing for them. You know, he's for years been a guy that we still think is going to grow into his body, you know, even when he was well short of heavyweight everyone kind of saw this, okay, he's going to be at least a 197, probably a heavyweight. He just keeps growing. And for a long time, he, it was amazing. He would go out and just wreck people. And it just looked like, oh man, he's going to get so much bigger. You know, he had that long limbs and, you know, big feet. And it was like, okay, he's still got some growing to do, even though he's already a great wrestler. Um, and now, you know, he's up at heavyweight, but he could still pack on a lot of weight. So he could end up being a quality you know, 125 kilo type, but before it's done, I don't necessarily think he's going to hang around and stay at 97 kilos for his career if, unless he wants to. Um, so it doesn't seem, I mean, it seems silly for him to do that if he's going to go train with Snyder, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, he's not that much younger than Kyle. So that was right. an interesting choice, but it'll be interesting to see. I think he's definitely got the frame to get bigger uh, which is just terrifying for everybody else, I would have to think. So uh, he's a guy that could wrestle a very solid 240-250 easily. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying is, and you know, then you know he gets to train with not only the Snyder's, but you know that RTC is investing a lot of money and like bringing Akbul and these other kind of guys in all the time and letting those guys, you know, paying to help those guys travel to other, you know, other RTCs, other places around the world. And I originally, you know, incorrectly thought that the college teams would really impact the RTCs, and that's, in my opinion, wrong. I was wrong that the RTCs are really driving the college teams. So, you know, it's because it's driving recruiting. And, you know, the one thing is that the RTCs at Ohio State, Penn State, a few other places are significantly ahead of, of a lot of the other ones. Or even the programs that have good college teams, some of them don't have great RTCs yet. Right. So, and I, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and I think definitely we saw it here uh, with, you know, his decision to reopen his recruiting after originally with Oklahoma State there, and you know that their RTC is not on the level of Ohio's, Ohio State and Penn State's and Iowa's right now. Um, I think that played a role, and I think we're going to continue to see that. You know, the best guys have world and Olympic aspirations, and now that we have this system and it's well established and everybody kind of understands the ramifications and what's going into post-grad training, I, I think we're going to see that it's harder and harder to compete if you don't have that. And I think it's – I mean, it's good for the sport. It's tough if you don't have the resources to do it, though. It's going to become haves and have-nots. I mean, I think that's the one thing. When you think about RTCs and then you think about these new, well, you know, sort of almost open border transfer rules, that those are the things to me that are absolutely obvious that it's going to be haves and have-nots. That I don't want to pick any small school because I don't want to denigrate them, but, you know, a top 25 to 50 school has a guy that does really well and they go, well, I could go to Alex Steen University that just took second in nationals, and I can train with Alex Steen and David Maricatani and Curly Larry and Moe, and now they want me. They didn't want me two years ago, but now they want me. And I think one of the things that maybe people that uh, 
and they, they have, a, you know, their hearts in the right place but may not understand it is these coaches from any school can reach out to any other kid at any other school just because kids know people. So then, you know, they can let somebody know in 15 seconds that, you know, they want to get a hold of them. So I think, you know, that's, that is a just something to definitely be aware of as we go forward on all this. Right. And, I mean, I think you're going to see some more. I mean, you know, we have Penn and Drexel have a combined RTC because they're in the same city. You know, I think there's going to be more of those kind of unique solutions thought of where they can um, to kind of help with that haves and haves nots. I mean, obviously, neither one of those programs is, you know, competing for national title right now. But if they combine their resources, maybe they have a better RTC. Maybe they can move both of them forward. So I think we'll see some of that. And, you know, I think it's important to realize, too, this system is still in its relative infancy. So we're going to see some evolutions. I think we see where it's going right now. But what it's going to look like 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road is a little harder to see. And, of course, all these, you know, all of these RTCs end up with wrestlers that didn't go to their school originally. So it's not like people can't take a different path, but a lot of them are going to choose to go there and stay there. Um, and I think we saw that with Kurt Fleet. So. Most definitely. Before we move into the rankings uh, to start breaking down the top wrestlers at 125 pounds, do want to mention Andy Hamilton's excellent article on Richard Perry. Um, Perry still uh, in the hospital battling um, his condition seems like we get good updates and bad updates depending on the day uh, obviously there was a bit of a meningitis scare that turned out to not be the case which is a great thing for him um, it was reported his left hand finally moved which it hadn't since the accident so obviously still a very serious situation but some good progress there and Andy's article of course as he usually does really plums the depths of how Richard Perry, the wrestler we know today, came to be, and it's really, it's a really good story. You know, anytime you've got a guy that started that late um, in his wrestling journey and has risen to the heights he's risen to, it just kind of proves that you know you don't have to wrestle as an eight-year-old to be world class. So that's great. Um, it kind of reaffirms some of the stuff we'd heard about him, how great a person he is, and how you know how everybody just really likes to be around him. I thought the statements by Jordan Burroughs were really telling and, you know, how he wanted him around at the world championships this year as a training partner, not only to give him a good look, but to, because that's the kind of guy he wanted to be around going into competition. So that's really telling, um, go out there and read it. It's on track wrestling.com. Uh, I really enjoyed that article. And then too, I, you know, obviously Andy and I, you know, he, he got me started in this podcast stuff and, got a chance to talk to him before he wrote it. And he had a really telling comment. He said, I got done talking to him and he goes, I literally found myself saying I should be more like Richard Perry. And that's, I think, you know, just about, you know, one of the greatest compliments you can give anybody is, you know, I, I should be living my life more like that person. So uh, Deron Wynn put up a really cool post on social media, uh, you know, saying like, you know, his, he actually posted a picture of a, of a podium where he and Richard were on the podium and Richard had won and, you know, came over and talked to Daron afterwards and Daron was like, you know, I, I didn't want to talk to this guy right now. And, you know, Richard just talked to him about what he could do better and how much he enjoyed competing against him. And, 
just, you know, the guy's had an impact on a lot of people's lives and don't want to take any of the story away. Just want you to read it. It's a, uh, we had talked about keeping Richard's story alive. And I think Andy's done a, a wonderful job of keeping that story alive for another week or two, at least on the, in, on the, the front page. So I really hope everyone will, will read it and like it and share it and, and, and try to make it go as big as we can. Definitely, and we'll keep updating his condition as he continues to fight, and we'll, of course, always hope for the best. And He's obviously a fighter, has been before, and he'll continue to fight. Moving to, before we talk about 125 pounds, let's talk about a little bit about the seating process. There is a proposal on the table in NCAA College Wrestling at the D1 level to seed effectively everyone at the national tournament. Um, they're talking about seeding the top 28 and placing them in the bracket solidly. And then 29 to 33 would still be seeded, but there'd be a random draw for which of those two had the pigtail. And the, all of those guys would have a top four seed in the first round. Obviously, one, two of them would have to battle in the pigtail to get that far. But effectively, you're reducing the random chance. I mean, as it is now, if you're the 17th best guy in the bracket, you could get the number one seed first round. Um, they kind of looked at that and said, well, we have this data, we have this system that's easy to parse everything out. I mean, it takes seconds to, once they put everything in the computer, it spits it out, um, says exactly you know, who goes where. So why don't we just do that? The number 17 guy can wrestle the number 16 seed and we'll go from there. Um, I don't know how much of an impact this is going to have, but is this something you're in favor of, David? I've been in favor of it for about 10 years. I, I called the committee about 10 years ago. I said, I don't understand. One of the craziest ones I saw was, you, and you're, you'll know the year, but I think it was Neil Earsman's senior year. He didn't get the 12 seed, and that's when they only seeded 12, and he drew David Taylor first round. <laughs> and then lost on the backside and didn't place. And, you know, I know Neil, he's a friend of mine, and, you know, but that doesn't really matter, but it's just, he was probably the 13 seed. And, you know, so in this formula, he would have the number 20 seed, probably won that, and then had the four seed. But even if he loses that, he's two rounds further on the back of the bracket. So it seems I mean, you know, a lot of anybody that's sort of wrestling in, in college, obviously wrestling high school. I think most high schools you wrestle all year for a seed at your district, and then after that it's blind draw. You know, you know, like how you place. But you know, if you're the number one guy from district one, I'm the number one guy from district six. It's completely random on when we hit, and it's because there's just not enough results. Although now more state tournaments are starting to use track wrestling and to seed it. I think if you have data, you're absolutely crazy to not use it. So that, you know, I, and I, I mean, it's a completely random number that they just decided to see the 16. I mean, you, cause they did 12, which made no sense forever. And when people do college rankings, like when we get into this, we'll talk about why we ranked to 25, but most people ranked to 20. So they just drew an arbitrary line. And it, it, to to get rid of that arbitrary line seems like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it is an arbitrary line. I think if you go back and look throughout history, you know, when the NCAA tournament first started, a lot of these guys 
you know, wrestling was a regional sport, so they never met until they showed up at the national tournament. So there really wasn't a fair way to see them. And as that, you know, as wrestling evolved and you got more of the big tournaments, you'd see more and more crossover. So there was more data and you could see more people, but it's still, you're right. It is an arbitrary decision. Okay. We're going to seed eight. Now we're going to seed 12. Now we're going to seed 16. Um, and of course, as you go down the list, the differences between the people get smaller and smaller. That just tends to be the case. You know, the difference between number one and number five may be pretty big, but the difference between 16 and 20 usually isn't as great. Um, so it gets harder and harder to do when you're doing it with a committee that has to look over the results manually and argue for people. Uh, but now that we have this data-driven process and we do have most teams go coast to coast at least facing teams from either coast um, throughout the season there's an opportunity to get that kind of competition it makes sense um, is it going to make a huge difference every year every weight no uh, but you highlighted a very good example of where it could have made a difference and we won't see that um, you know anything to avoid that sort of situation is a good thing uh, if you believe in your system you may as well seed everybody so uh I, I like it um i you know i'm kind of a seeding nerd when it comes to that sort of stuff i like the process i like looking at the data and i think i mean you already know exactly how these things are seeded so if anybody has a problem with the seeds they start earning it's all all the information is out there they can go look and figure out how to make it better yeah, it, it just, it, it, there's so much randomness. This eliminates a lot of it, and it, it it's more fair. It's kind of like this gold, silver, bronze system as opposed to, well, what did the conference do a year ago? All the steps that have changed have been to give guys more credit for their entire season, their entire body of work, and to make things more equitable. And, you know, whether you like it or not, that's been the goal. But whenever that's the goal, it's usually a good idea, like how it turned out. Like, okay, we're, we're with it. So that's a good thing. Absolutely. So starting this week, we're going to go through the weights and probably one a week. Um, if we have a slow week, we might squeeze into one or two weeks around here. So we work our way towards wrestling season. We're going to start with 125 pounds and see – I don't think we'll talk a lot about who's going to get the 17 seed, though we could. Um, I mean, officially they'll make history as the first 17 seed in NCAA tournament history, but that's that's only applicable to uh, to uh, trivia nerds like myself. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about 125, and you you got to start with the defending champion Spencer Lee coming back for a second season. I mean, after what he did to the field last year, you gotta you gotta wonder if anyone can touch him at this weight. Yeah, let's and let's lay out a little bit what you know, everybody has their own system of rankings. For people that don't know, you were the rankings coordinator or co coordinator over at the open mat last year. You and I have been friends for a long time and um I would actually pick your brain uh times during the year and a couple just well why do we you know I think I specifically called you once or twice about 197 in the middle of January and February last year. Um, the system we generally use 
is based on returning placement from the year before, or if you were an All-American from any other year, and along with some common sense, and along with spring, sprinkling in freshmen and red shirts, and that's what makes it difficult. So I'll lay out the top eight, and then you know we can talk about that. Spencer Lee, number one, was first last year. I left Nick Soriano at 25. He's two based on taking second. Sebastian Rivera, third, he took sixth. Zeke Moisey, fourth, took eighth, and is a transfer, you know, in the Nebraska. Uh, I rank, the other thing I try to do is I try to rank guys as high as they can they, to, to keep the team points as pretty much as accurately as we think possible. So Nick Piccinini slash Dayton Fix is ranked fifth based on Piccinini being a round of 12 guy and an All-American the year before. Taylor Lamont, rounded 12 guys, six. Louis Hayes, and we had slash Jack Mueller, but it'll just be Louis Hayes now, is seventh. And then there were four round of 13 guys, a round of 16 guys. And the eighth guy is Sean Russell, ahead of Milhoff slash coordinator Arizona State, Travis Piotrowski at Illinois, and Drew Mattins slash Austin Acid at Michigan. So, and then, you know, the top – in the top 12, Sean Fawes, Connor Schramm, Connor Brown, Michael McGee, Brock Hudkins. So uh, I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Alex. You know, what do you think about your guy that does rankings? How, did, how much did I get right or wrong here, do you think? I mean, this is pretty much how we did it at the Open Mat, too. Um, and it's kind of – it's almost the no-judgment zone way to do it. Um, you know, obviously, NCAA tournament in March is the most important term of the year. And um, if you are returning and placed ahead of people, you get, you know, you get the ranking ahead of them to start the season. And that, I think that's fair. Um, it can kind of get weird when you have a good turn, a guy who had a good tournament that was way above what he did in the regular season or the opposite way below. I mean, you know, Sean Fawes right now down at like number 13 he, he was way better than that in the regular season but he went one and two at NCAAs so you know you have him behind some guys that probably if you looked at the body of work you could argue for in front but this is you know kind of like the seating we talked about this is one of the most fair ways to do it because you earned this so and you know preseason rankings we all like to get excited and debate about them but in in the long run they don't mean anything so it's not like we're penalizing Sean Foz. He can earn his way up. Um, I don't see anything that you really got wrong, and that's kind of the way it is. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. If Fix goes 125, you know, he beat Ronnie Bresser last year, so you could put him as high as fourth. Now, he's undefeated. Of course, he wrestled five matches, but um, you know, he had victories over Bresser and Foz in Reno. So that that was an interesting note. Um, it's tough. It, you look at this up and down, you got, you know, guys that have been all American before Sean Russell and Ryan Milhoff, but they didn't do it last year. So it, it looks fair. Um, it's not going to stay this way, but it's a good starting point, I think. Right. And Connor Schramm is also a guy that all American in this transfer. So he's on the list. It's uh and 125 is a weight where invariably you see a freshman come in and do well. It's, it's the easiest weight, you know, sort of the less, you know, the way with the fewest sort of old man strength kind of guys. And it's it's just something where, you know, you, this weight has a lot of turnover. I mean, the other guys just to hear kind of names, 
after Hyde Hudson gave counsel by Oliver, Kyle Nordstrom, Jay Schwarm, Christian Moody, either Paul Bianchi or Brent Fleetwood of North Dakota State, Alonzo Allen, Gage Curry, Rayvon Foley, and then guys that are literally and you know we 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 you and me may tweak these, but guys right outside the top twenty five, Patrick Glory, Gavin Teasdale, even a Shakur Laney who, you know, had a good you know, had a good year a couple of years ago. Dalton Macri slash Zach Sherman, Devin Schroeder. I mean, there is an immense number of guys here that are talented and and could make a difference. So, if you, you know, I guess one of the things that people kind of look at, here's another thing that's really important for people to understand. 9 through 12 is the same in terms of team points scored. 13 through 16 is the same for team points scored and 17 through 25. And it's just because that's how it shakes out in the bracket. You know, that, that round of 12, those guys that all lose all scored the same amount of points without bonus. You know, and then they punch through and they all are immediately given the eighth place points. And conversely, you guys that lost the round before scored a half a point less. The guys that lost the round before that scored a half a point less. So it's one, one and a half, one for number 17 through 25. That's why we rank all 25. 13 through 16 score a point and a half, 9 through 12 score two, and then it you know goes from the top 20, 16, 13 and a half, 12 and a half, 10, 9, 6 and a half, 5 and a half. So the real jump, honestly, is between that round of 12 and at least getting those eight, seven, six place points. That's that's where, you know, that's why they call it the blood round. And, and the same thing like winning the quarters. If you can win the quarters, you immediately get that jump to six place points. Right. So when you look at these, I guess we need to make a couple of assumptions. To me, it feels like if Suriano stays at 25 and Fitz were to come in at 25, it feels like it's Spencer Lee and then either Suriano or Fix in the finals. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I think that's that would be the top level. Um, you know, obviously I think I think you have to put Spencer Lee on his own level to start with, just because, you know, he controlled Soriano in the finals completely. Um, once he kind of got his footing and shed the knee brace, it was different level. Um, I mean, I know Fix has beat him in freestyle before, but it's been a long time and we haven't seen Fix at the, on a college mat, you know, more than five times. So you got to give Lee the edge. So yeah, I think Soriano Fix and the other side, that looks that looks like the top three far and away. Um, obviously, someone could greatly improve and challenge that. I think I don't remember was it 165 last year that looked like it had a top three to start the year, and then all that went out the window. I think uh, when Massa got hurt and a couple of guys improved, but just looking at it on paper, those three look like their own class to start the year. Yeah, like you said, I think Lee's level one, and then Suriano Fix are level two. If Fix goes 33, it feels like Suriano's – and then Suriano were to stay at 25, it feels like he is a pretty strong favorite to make the finals. And then you have guys like Rivera, Moise, let's say it's Piccinini, and Taylor Lamont. I mean, Piccinini is a guy that could come back and place really high for the Cowboys, don't you think? Yeah, I think it'll be very similar to last year where he would probably – Seems like he's likely to end in the blood round, um, and then he'll either win or lose and finish around there. 
but somebody else is going to have to make, you know, the point you're making, I think, is that somebody else has got to get in the semifinals. You know, you, Sebastian Rivera could in that, Ronnie Bresser could, but Piccinini's right there with those guys. So, and that's kind of the, you know, we talked about Oklahoma State's team chances before. That's the kind of stuff that will make or break them. If Piccinini is in the semifinals and then Fix does well at 33, suddenly that's a heck of a lot more points than Piccinini in the seventh place match. You know, it's a lot, it's a huge difference. It's gigantic. And that's where you look at those things like, you know, Piccinini, Fix here are ranked fifth at 25, but I think most people think Fix would place higher. You know, then we'll get to next week where Kate Brock would have been ranked at 33. And you go, okay, well, where would Fix be? And then, you know, and so on up the line up to 41, if you put Kate Brock there or G Feller. But Again, one of the things you said is, you know, about the rankings and like a pause, you used him as an example, not being hurt by this. It's not college football. And that's really good because college football, where you start really matters. And in, in college wrestling, it doesn't matter because like you said, it's a data-driven formula. And there are so many more guys that, you know, there's at least 20 to 30 matches in a year versus – you know, 12 football games in the regular season. And so guys are able to see each other a lot more, have a lot more common opponents. And the other thing is you may not get, you may think, well, I didn't get to see these guys. I didn't get as good of a seed as I want. But if you have a good season, you're going to get in the tournament. And that's another part that's different from college football where only four teams make can win the title. So, you know, this is, it's a much better system, I think, in terms of, of allowing, you know, people to wrestle well. I remember the first year I was doing the rankings, Andy and Hamilton and I had a phone call, and he goes to the point you spoke about at the top of this, which is, uh, you know, guys might have a better regular season versus the tournament. And I had Leland Witherspoon ranked ahead of Alex Meyer because Leland Witherspoon had placed a national, and Alex Meyer had been in the round of 12. And Andy's point was Leland Witherspoon has lost Alex Meyer every time at the head. You know, my point was, well, that's definitely true. If I do this, if I change that, I have to go back and start looking for every head-to-head that changes this. Maybe it's lazy, maybe it's fair, maybe it's whatever, but if we just go by how the tournament went, at least we're consistent. And, you know, he goes, well, he's going to beat him probably in November. I'm like, he probably will, and then we'll change the rankings. So, you know, there's certainly guys here, and I think you and me are going to try to get into this a little bit just to close out this weight you know, maybe who our top four or five picks are. And I think that's another thing that people misunderstand. You've done rankings and people talk to you and you go, how do you guys have, have this guy ranked at such and such? Well, sometimes he's ranked there because he's beaten everybody and everybody else has lost to each other. I mean, if you're beating me 14 to nothing and I reach back and pin you, and that's the only result, I have to be ranked ahead of you. You know, 10 matches later when I'm five and five and you're nine and one, then we can rank you back ahead of me. And and it's so where we rank guys aren't, it isn't always where we think they're going to finish. And I think people take that, you know, too literally, like, well, you, do you believe in your rankings? Well, yeah, we believe our rankings are right or we wouldn't put them out, but those rankings don't necessarily mean that's where we think they're going to finish. Yeah. That's the two, there's two things that get people twisted around the axle that have never it's not that they've never done rankings or never thought about it. It's just, it's a hard concept to believe in when you're used to looking at something and going, I think that guy's better than that guy. 
And the one you mentioned is absolutely the case. The ranking is based on your resume to that point. It's not a prediction of what's going to happen in the future. Um, you know, we can look at a match and go, well, I think that result will be different next time, but you can't use that as a ranking. Correct. That's right. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things. It's, it's not, it's not a problem of rankings. It's just that rankings are not predictions and that's okay. Um, it's, it, it'll drive you insane. Um, the other part is that head to head can only go so far. And you mentioned that a little bit, you know, you'll get to the point where somebody's ranked ahead of somebody that's beaten them. It's, it's an impossibility to keep, you know, if, if, if I beat the number one guy in the country and you make me number one, and then I lose five matches, I can't just drop that other guy forever. At some point, it's ridiculous. He's lost one match and I'm, you know, I'm 20th now. He has to be ranked 21st. That's just not how it works. So head to head only goes so far. That can get really tricky as to how, you know, how to interpret that. Uh, I get, you know, I got emails all the time when we were doing that. Um, no, so-and-so is beating so-and-so. How can you be ranked behind him? Well, you got to look at the whole picture. And as it evolves over the season, I mean, 157 was notorious last year. Everybody beat right. everybody to the point where I was calculating, you know, oh, this guy's five and two against this giant right. group of seven guys. And this guy's three and four. So I'm putting the five and two guy ahead, even though he's lost to that other guy. It just gets... We did it at 197 as yeah. well. Yeah. 197 was the same kind of thing. And... Penn State's got guys going in and out of the lineup, so that changes things, and it just – it's messy. But that's – you know, and, you know, you kind of mentioned it, and I've hit on it, that it doesn't penalize somebody for being low-ranked. Really, our rankings don't play in. If you win, you're going to – at the end of the year, you're going to get into the tournament. You're going to have a chance to be a, a national champion. I mean, under this system, you can show up to the conference tournament zero and zero if you want to. Now, you're not going to get a seed, but if you steal one of those qualifying bursts, if you win the tournament, no matter where you are, you're in. So right. it's, you know, it's obviously much better to have some margin for error, but if you win at the end of the year, you're going to win and you still ever have everything to wrestle for, which is a good thing, I think, in this system. One of the things that does bother me is a couple of years ago, there was a, a publication that ranked Penn State number one, and that's when they had, like, they only had four rankable guys, but they just thought they were going to end up being the best team, and we all kind of thought they were going to be the best team, but they had a bunch of freshmen that hadn't wrestled yet, you know, like the year Vincenzo and Hall and all those guys were freshmen, Nickel, or not Nickel, but the other two, and they just decided to rank them number one, and I I guess you can't say you can't do that because they did it, but People need to understand the team rankings are just a compilation of the 10 individual rankings. Like, you know, right now at the end, if, if we stop the team rankings today, I was ranked number one because Spencer Lee's, you know, got the most points. And we can't go, well, but we think, like, we think that Nick Seriano could beat him, so we're going to give Rutgers more points in some kind of example like that. It's not how it works. Other people have done it that way, but it, I think you lose the integrity of your rankings. The other thing I always question is when people put rankings up and then their team scores don't add up to the sum of their individual scores, and they're either lower or higher. Either somebody's bad at math, somebody's doing a weird rubric, or somebody's manipulating the numbers 
so that they can get the team score to look, the team rankings to look the way they want them to. And we did this a lot last year, Andy and I, where Ohio State and Penn State just kept flip-flopping back on, you know, based on like one or two match swings. It happened a lot. Yeah, and I think, you know, talking to all the different people that do rankings and they do, I think everybody's got a little bit of a different approach to it. Um, I know several different publications do their team rankings a little bit different just because of how things work. I mean, I know your guys is, is, you know, a strictly, this is how many points they would score if they were finished, if they were to finish exactly where they're ranked. Um, that's probably the most fair way to do it. I know some other people incorporate more of a projected point total to try to factor in bonus a little bit, um, to try to factor in a range of finishes that are likely from where they are. I know when I was doing it, I was partnering with WrestleStat to look at the actual individual's history of scoring bonus points against the level of competition they were going to see at the NCAA tournament. So mine were a little bit different. Um, well, at least that's, at least that's documentable and debatable. Right. You know, for example, if you say, you know, I have Dean Heil ranked number one and I have Zane Rutherford ranked number one, but I don't think they're going to score the same number of points at the tournament. Right. You know, I think they're both going to win, but I don't think they're going to score the same number of points. That is something that is, you know, probably, you know, obviously was accurate, but was also justifiable based on their performances at the tournament, you know, in the years previous. Right. So, and that, you know, that, that's it's exactly, not crazy to do that. Right. But that, that's exactly what I always came back to. You know, I've told you this before, you know, when I was partnering with Eric for the rankings at TOM, it was kind of our mantra. There's a lot of right answers on how to rank people. So as long as you're consistent and you have one of those right answers, you're okay. It's when you get to that, I mean, and you hit on it, you know, there's nothing, there's no law that says, oh, rankings can't be predictive and you can't do this, you can't do that. It's just that when you start making predictions, you're really not doing what you, what I would consider rankings. At that point, you're making predictions and that's different. You know, you talked about it being documentable. That's really the key. It, you're never going to be consistent if you're making predictions. You're going to favor people. You're going to look at things differently. And, th- and that's the whole point of rankings, in my opinion, and obviously you share that opinion, my, to be consistent and to generate something that rewards the same resume in the same manner so that across the board we can look at this wide group of people with disparate result sets and go, this is what they have earned to this stage. Right, and that's where it becomes very difficult to do, like with a Patrick Glory or a Gavin Teasdale, or when we sprint ahead seven, eight, nine episodes, we have to talk about Gable Stevenson, because it seems insane to rank a Gable Stevenson off the board. I talked to some guys, I talked to some college coaches that said, you better rank him number one. And I had one college coach that said, you can't rank him. He still hasn't wrestled a college match, which really isn't truly really wrestled in some open tournaments last year. You know, but when we get to that point, you know, I will make my point of where I thought his basement was and put him above that person. Uh, but it is tough. So, like, we're going to do something a little bit different this year. You and I are going to make our top four picks, and then maybe we'll pick one guy that's not ranked in the top eight that we think can, you know, break into the medals. So, 
Um, I guess we can flip flop. Do you want to do your top four in your wild card this week, and I'll go next week? Sure, that works. Um, right. What you got? I'm writing these down. Well, obviously, I have Spencer Lee number one. Um, it's hard. It's it'd be impossible for me to pick against him right now. Um, and honestly, unless Fix goes 125, I don't see anybody coming close to him. Now, I do think Fix is going to be 125, and I'd have him second right now. Um, so that's my pick for second. Uh, Suriano would be third. And fourth is tough, but I'm going to go with Sebastian Rivera. So it's a little bit chalky. Um, but, you know, that that scramble for fourth will be a lot of different things. Rivera had some good results last year, and he seemed to be close to doing big things. So I think he's going to he, – a little step forward suddenly separates him from that big pack there. So. Um, that's my top four. My guy outside the top eight that I think is going to place is Sean Foz. I mean, he's the five seed last year, just had a terrible tournament. Um, I don't know how he still makes 125, but he's proven that he can. So I'll go with it. Um, and okay, this is probably outside. I, I'm not allowed to pick two wild cards, but if I was, I'd take Rayvon Foley for Michigan State. He had some big wins last year. He's going to start the year ranked 20th. He didn't have a win at Nationals, but, you know, wrestled as a true freshman. Took some lumps, as you would expect. He could make a big jump and be right in that mix for an All-American um, award this year, I think. Uh, he's got a chance. So that's what I'll It's our rule, so if we want to do two wild cards. <laughs> no, that's fine. So I'm going to go Lee Wan. I'm going to go Suriano two, fix three, Rivera four. I think that Suriano fix is a one point match. You know, I think, you know, fix will be spending, you know, a lot, he's a lot more focused on freestyle. I think Suriano might be a little bit better on the mat, even if it just came down to the rideouts and the tiebreakers. I'm going to go a little bit different on my wild cards, though. I'm going to go young. I'm going to go, and this one, I don't even know if this guy will end up starting, but I'm going to take Courtney from Arizona State. To, uh, to beat Melhoff out and start. And I'm going to take Patrick Glory. I think he's a guy that uh, Joe Dubuque and those guys can put a lot of time into. And, I, I'm, you know, he's, he's Ivy League, so he's going to go right away out of, off the start. I think he's a guy that, you know, could maybe end up being a 14-15 seed and, you know, upset somebody or just come through the back and, you know, get in that 7th or 8th place match. So – We'll keep documenting these for people that don't know. Alex and I are gigantic nerds. We have a 38-tab Google document where all this will go on. And then when we post the rankings, we'll also post our picks. So you guys can either uh, cheer us on or mock us based on how accurate we were as the year goes on. I, I never went back and checked our picks from that podcast last year when all the rankers came on and, and looked at it, but there were, there were some cringeworthy ones. There were some good ones. There were some bad ones. I, I just one, remember a few. Jim Kalen called me to remind me he picked Kyle Cannell, and then I reminded him of his other nine picks, and then that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got you to gotta be happy with one of your long shot picks coming through, because that one, that one wasn't looking so good until suddenly it did. <laughs> He, he did pick that one, though, and none of us did, to right. be fair. No, nobody else did. So. Shout out to Jim Kalen. Man. i got to give him credit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next week we'll pick back up with 133. Obviously, we'll have some Junior Worlds talk and a lot of international to talk about also. Uh, David, do you want to run down your events of last weekend? 
Yeah, we just we had Randy Couture in town for the Extreme Couture GI Foundation, and just did the head count and raised over thirteen thousand dollars for veterans with uh, wounds and amputations, and and made some really good connections for our next event. Feel like it's going to be even bigger. I just want to thank everybody that came out to any of the. We ran three or four events over the weekend that came out that donated, that bought a T-shirt, that got an autograph, that participated in any of the events. Um, 100% of the money goes to the cause, so we have you know no overhead. Uh, everybody donates their time and money, so it's. Uh, I just want to thank you guys. It's. Uh, I, I put a post out on social media it, doing these things. It is a lot of work, but. It really makes uh, it makes you believe in the humanity of people, and you know, obviously, we definitely want to mention. You know, we're we're filming this, recording this rather on 9/11, and just want to take a moment and honor all of those that were involved in that awful tragedy, and and pay respect to those people. And and we talked about that a lot this weekend with so many of our things being military themed. Very well said. Um, obviously, I spent one anniversary of September 11th overseas at the dreaded undisclosed location in Southwest Asia. And, uh, you know, it, it's different. Everybody's going to have a different take on what that day means to them, what their memories mean to them. But, um, being around people who have been away from their family, away from their comforts, um, pretty much as a direct result of that day, it, it kind of puts it into perspective what that means. And that's still going on. So um, thanks to all them that still do it. And yeah, like you said, uh, everybody affected by that day and that is still being affected in our thoughts today and hopefully every day, because that's, that's not something you ever get over. So, yeah. So that'll do it for this week. Um, join us back next week when we go through 133, and good luck to Team USA this weekend. Thanks for listening.